So I... 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2... Kylo Ren is in this. So you're not going to understand that intro unless you watch the movie. Did you watch the movie? Oh, was I supposed to watch the movie? You you didn't watch the movie? Oh, no. Babe, how are we going to do this podcast? Oh, no. Oh, well, Well, anyway. the nice thing with this one is that you would also get it if you listen to the album. Hi, this is Home Viewing. That's what I thought we were going to do first. What? I thought you were going to be like, hi, this is Home Viewing. Well, you know, sometimes you want to shake things up. A little bit on your podcast. You want to do the last. You want to put the ending first. Well, and, this you know, has been just... a pocket podcast network show. Yeah. Oh, look! I just woke up in my friendly sociology professor friend's apartment with his cat. Oh, is that what he did? Yeah, he woke up in the. Yeah, I they... didn't know he was a sociology professor. Yeah, hey. that's why he said, you know, if I want, I don't make you lecture about the peoples of Mesoamerica when you come to dinner. I just thought he was a history professor. No, sociology. It's said on the uh, letter. Right, now. right. We don't put Mesoamerica in history. You right? <laughs> Woof. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Bethany. And this is Home Viewing, a podcast where we watch all of the movies in our DVD and Blu-ray library in alphabetical-ish order. We just started today, The Eyes. Yeah, that's alphabet order. Yeah. You know what? We do all the eyes in a clump, even if they are not necessarily in alphabetical order themselves. See, this is where your extra truthfulness gets you in trouble. This is because we wanted to watch... No one knows the alphabet. You could just not say anything. This movie, which is better than the one that would have been first. What was supposed to be first? I Love You, Man. Oh, no. Are we still watching that? We are. It's a Paul Rudd and Jason Segel buddy comedy. Paul Rudd? Yeah, and Rashida Jones is in it, This isn't the one with, um... Are you thinking... I'm thinking of Yes Man. (laughs) You're thinking of... Oh, you're thinking of Jim Carrey and Zoe Deschanel. That's That's a a good movie. That's a fun one. That's... It's got a Reese Darby from New Zealand in it. Like... Yeah, we'll put that on our Amazon wish list. And if anyone wants to get that for us, they can do that. Except we don't have an Amazon wish list. Yeah, well, I already bought us, like, three new movies in the last week. Since we've last recorded, the Oscars have happened, and we have, once again, just just today, as of today, seen all the Best Picture nominees through perfectly licit means. You know, we saw them in theaters or rented digitally. Wink! Again, with your over-truthfulness. Exactly. So annoying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, as a result of having seen all of those, and also some that weren't nominated that should have been nominated, Oof. we have, like, already two new Blu-rays, no, three new Blu-rays this week, and then we're getting one <laughs> in a week and a half when oh, Knives no. Out comes out on Blu-ray, and then Uncut Gems in March. Oh, <laughs> so boy. Do like, you really want that one? I do. I loved that movie. Last year was a really good year for movies. And like yeah, it's it's the odd years. So 2017 was a really good year for movies too. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's let's do a quick homies real quick. The home viewing awards. I hate that you call them the homies. You know, but I and I was talking about oh, this. I don't think performance homers. We can call them the homers. The homers. That's way better That's than much homies. Better. Yeah, the homers. Um. So 
let's see. Let's 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 just do a few categories real quick. Um, I know we're not supposed to. I, I don't think best actor and best actress should be divided, but I can't help but thinking like that because that's how we've been thinking for a while. And it's hard because you're like, well, then more actresses get recognition too. Exactly. But they should be judged on the same scale. I think best performance overall. Like I'm just, I'm just gonna throw this out here, and this is this is you know this is gonna be controversial. I know what you're gonna say. What am I gonna say? Florence Pugh and Florence Little Women. Florence Pugh and Little Women. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. We just it saw wasn't this that. last night, so it's probably the bias of recency. But she was so good. Oh my god. No, she really captured the transition of Amy from like little girl to like grown woman who like knows exactly what she wants, and like she managed to like capture like how like manic Amy is as a child, you know. But she, it's also read as, like, overly, like, trying to play a child. Like, in the Switches scene, which is one of the scenes I remember most from the Winona Ryder version of this movie, where Kirsten, <laughs> with Kirsten Dunst. Dunst. yeah. But Kirsten Dunst actually seemed more like an actual child than... Well, because she was, because Kirsten Dunst was, I think, 12 when they shot that. No, she wasn't, because yes, she also she played the grown-up no, version. The, she, didn't? she didn't play the grown-up version. The grown-up version was cast differently. Maybe they should the have done that. I don't think so. I think that this this sold it. Also, she was reliably the funniest member of the of the cast. She got the most laughs. From yeah, me. yeah. Except for maybe Timothy Chalamet, but oh that's a whole gosh. other thing. Um, but I would say now in the traditional categories, best supporting actress Florence Pugh, best supporting actor Song Kang Ho, who played a uh, who played uh, the dad who, in Parasite. Who won actor? Who won best supporting yeah. actor? I don't remember. Oof. Which is rough, I know. Rough. Yeah. Um, and I will say uh, my best actor is probably um, Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, 100%, who was completely frozen out. And I would say best actress, honestly... That can be your best actress. My best actress is Aquafina. <laughs> I pointed to the in, uh, in TV, the farewell the Blu-ray that we just purchased at, okay, so, at Target. So, so what are you, what are your acting what are your acting awards? I guess best best supporting actress. supporting act. Oh, what movies did we? Okay, I need to remember all the movies. Well, we watched uh, Scarlett Johansson in uh, Jojo Rabbit. I th- I thought you you really liked marriage. her performance. Let's see, Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, um, Parasite, Us. The Farewell, like, which, to be clear, the woman who played the grandmother in The Farewell is, like, whose name is slipping my mind right now. That's my second for best Yeah, actress. no, she was <laughs> incredible. Um, and, like, uh... The mom in Parasite was really good. That's... That would, I liked her a lot. Would that be your best supporting actress pick? Yeah, but my best actress pick is definitely Lupita Nyong'o for us. Yeah, which is, like... That... that I'm so mad that movie wasn't anywhere in the Oscars at all. Mm-hmm. Except for the intro song. Yeah, I agree completely. It was a... Well, I mean, it was... I, no, it wasn't even nominated for anything. Huh. Nothing. I think I think best adapted, my best adapted screenplay goes to Greta Gerwig. Because when Get Out oh. came out, it was in yeah, the Oscars. Yeah, it was. And he won, best, he won best original screenplay for that, if I remember correctly. I think my best adapted screenplay goes to Greta Gerwig. I think best original screenplay... It would either go to Bong Joon-ho or the Safdie brothers. So, like, it would either go to Parasite or Uncut Gems. Um, and then, like, 
Best picture, best director, I agree with the Oscars. It's Parasite. Parasite was yeah. incredible. Yeah. Parasite was the best movie it was the we best saw picture. all year. Like, for sure. But best director should have been Greta. You really think best director should have been Greta yes. under Bong? I thought it was great, but I think I think a lot of the uh, strengths of that came also from how tight the screenplay was. Though, I wonder if I'm mixing it up with, like, just how good the cinematography was. Well... Yeah, best cinematography went to Roger Deakins for 1917, which I totally get. Deakins is a great Oh, yeah, 19, I completely forgot about 1917. Yeah. It didn't sweep like I thought it was going to. A lot of us thought 1917 was going to sweep, but then Ford v. Ferrari picked up the sound mixing awards, which, which we watched uh, yeah. it today and, like, totally deserved Definitely. it. Definitely. Yeah. All right. We're done talking about... The homers. Yeah. Um, also, just real quick, my top five, Parasite number one, The Farewell number two, um, and then tied for like the next three is like Knives Out, Little Women, and honestly Uncut Gems. Yeah, and, I'm, like us. And, oh, like, Knives Out would have been one of, a good um, nom for best original. Oh wait, was it? It was nommed for best original. Oh, screenplay. that's good. Yeah. At least it was a nom. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Greta Gerwig got a best adapted nod, which was great. Like I liked Jojo Rabbit, but it was also very Taika, and like I understand. I honestly I was like, expecting a little more from him. I thought it was going to be funnier. Yeah, it, like, I understand the criticism, like, yeah, it turned into a Holocaust weepy, but, like, I, clearly it was a very personal and, like, emotional No, I still him, really like, enjoyed of, it. A lot of his, like, do, do turn sad. Like, yeah. Like, he's good at that, because there's, like, a certain melancholy that he gets. Ricky Baker. <laughs> it's your birthday. birthday. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Incredible. Watch Hunt for the Wilder People. Watch that, for sure. So what movie are we talking about today, What John? movie are we talking about today? We knocked out all the current event stuff. Well, we haven't said the name of it yet. We made a bunch of references to it in the intro and the second intro. We are watching a film called Inside Lewin Davis. Out. Inside Lewin Davis out. No, just Inside no. Lewin Davis. It is by the Coen brothers. It came out, and I'm going to get this wrong probably. Are you trying to pick the year? I'm trying to remember the year. 2013. 2000, I was going to say 2013 or 2000. It was 2013. And we first found out about it through the music. On 2013? Yeah. Well, yeah, no. We, well, this is it one might that, have been 2014. This is one that we saw for the first we time. we see it in the theater? Yeah. Oh. At Cine. <gasps> no. uh Yeah, really? we saw it at Cine. Oh, man. In uh, this little bitty theater. Gem of Athens. In Athens, That's Georgia. It's not that tiny. It has it's like two Tara. screens. It has two screens, and the screening rooms are much smaller. We don't than know Tara's. what it looks like now. I'm just saying <gasps> they had they had that really good popcorn, yeah, like how um, uh, Midtown Arts does. Exactly, and they had they had great popcorn. They had they had Blenheim's ginger ale. I think this was the first time that we experienced movie theaters that had like alcohol. It was. It's actually. also like a bar because that was not a thing in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least not the ones, Not in Augusta, Georgia. Not in Augusta. At least. I guess Atlanta probably was already mm-hmm. popping up. But yeah, this one we saw in Cine, and I was really happy that we got to see it there because it was like a very small, intimate experience. And it, Cine, in its environment, like the way it's built, it feels kind of like the clubs that Lewin, the club that Lewin plays. It feels kind of like the yeah. Gaslight, which is a legendary folk venue. Um, premise of this, it's about, it's it's kind of a slice of life thing. It's it's just a few days following, uh, I guess a week almost exactly, mm-hmm. in the life of this homeless folk singer. Who, I mean, yeah, he's homeless. Yeah, uh, does not have his own. He's couch crashing from day to day in a 
he lives in the East Village in Greenwich Village in New York, um, and he just kind of goes from couch to couch, and he thinks of himself as perhaps. Oh my God! For a homeless person, he thinks he is like the second coming. He, I mean, <laughs> he thinks he's the best of probably that entire group of people. You see, you you meet him and some other folk singers, which is the like, problem. The thing is, he is better. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. But humility will get you... He... He... Du- there's... There's something that is keeping him from yeah. making it. Mm-hmm. And there are some implications that it's maybe the fact that he's, like, half Italian. He's played by Oscar Isaac. Fantastically played by Oscar Isaac. This is... This is another really movie like... where being half Italian is a raise eyebrows thing. <laughs> this like is... the little woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's half Italian. <laughs> he... And he's got this name that no one's used to. This Welsh name, Lewin. Like, to the point where uh, when John Goodman's (laughs) character thinks his name is Lou N. Davis and calls him Lou. (laughs) Oh, God. There's a very good cat. Two very good cats, technically. Though I think they were (laughs) played by the same cat. cat. (laughs) There is... Oh, God. This movie is so good. Like, Carrie Mulligan. You've got Justin Timberlake as we are... Well, no, we didn't mention that. That that version of the intro got cut. So, <laughs> Justin Timberlake, Carrie Mulligan, um, God, John Adam Goodman, Driver, Adam Driver, yeah, Garrett Garrett. Hedlund. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> who? The guy who plays a uh, the older Zero Mustafa in Grand Budapest Hotel, and also Salieri in. Amadeus. He plays the club owner in the, <laughs> the Gate of Horn, Bud Grossman. Oh my god, we need to go back and do Amadeus. <laughs> I don't know if I don't have the two-part VHS anymore. So this is, um, I think it's definitely an exemplar of, like, late Coen Brothers, because it feels... Late? Are they dying? No. What's <laughs> Later, so it's it's not like, well, it's not like, not... um, oh, Brother, where are yeah, now? Or... Yeah. Big same, Lebowski or something like that. Same people. It deals with the same. It deals with the same kind of stuff. Like there's still like that element of like nihilism and like the the. Uh, Is John Goodman in every necessity of life? Coen Brothers movie. No, he's not in Hail Caesar. Oh. Yeah. Why not? He's not in. Uh, oh, he is in Raising Arizona. Yeah. Actually, he's in <laughs> like every other Coen movie. <laughs> he's not in No Country for Old Men. Yeah. I could have sworn he was. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he's in the background of every and single. And he's, he's not in um, True Grit. He's not in True Grit. Actually, he is. He's not. Th- <laughs> oh, 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 he is in Raising Arizona. We, you need to see Raising Arizona. Have I ever shown you that? We'll just say yes. He's not in a serious. Man. This one feels kind of like a serious man, and it's like in the ways that it keeps like knocking Lewin down, kind of. Boy. Oh. But Lewin has Lewin. The thing is, Lewin, like so many Coen Brothers protagonists, is an asshole. <laughs> he is. He does have an opportunity, as he Carrie has, Mulligan says. He has opportunity and he squanders it. I don't think he squanders it. He. I, but you see, the thing is, you understand why he's an asshole mm-hmm. because he's so broken. That's. Oh, but it do, but the, the whole point is that it doesn't like, give you an excuse. No, it doesn't, but this film is absolutely the exploration of, like, a broken person who's still trying to make art. Right. And, like, still trying to live that. Because, like, you find out slowly that Lewin is not a solo act by choice. Hmm. You find out that... Sad. That his He's actually partner, part of the Punch Brothers. 
We'll get into that. His, <laughs> that his former partner killed himself by jumping off the George Washington Bridge. Oof. Which, as John Goodman says, George Washington Bridge. Traditionally, one throws oneself off the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> Incredible. The way it's able to mine comedy from that stuff. This is also... Um, and you find out that he is still broken by that fact. Like... And so he's trying to make it on his own when no one even knew him when he was in a duo. Like, he's... Well, you you assume that he's blaming himself partially because... Oh, absolutely. Sure, like, maybe his partner would have been much happier if they had actually made it, you Exactly. Know? And meanwhile, he's friends with the uh, analog of Peter, Paul, and Mary, essentially. <laughs> Pretty much. Jim and Jean, or Justin <laughs> Timberlake and Carrie Mulligan. If they don't... You know, you know why everyone comes to see Jim and Jean? Because the they guys... want to F... They want to fuck Gene. Gene. And if they and don't want to... you know what? Some of those guys, they want to <laughs> fuck Jim. Me, I only fuck Gene. Is that what he says? That's what he <gasps> says. And that's what that's what leads oh, Lewin to go off on man. the rant against the, the Arkansas woman. You know, the woman... God, the, oh, gosh. I would, too. Uh, it, was good. it was very Carter family, which... Res- but okay. Listen, as okay. as a bluegrass and country fan, I have to respect. But that the club family. was not a bluegrass circle. It was a that club. club was a folk circle. It was a folk circle. It should well. Though, though to be fair, Poppy was. I I think the gas the gaslight is known for its folk nights, and like that's that is legitimately where Lewin, where uh Bob Dylan was discovered as happens so at the end awful. of the movie. <laughs> it's and so like, awful. But. That's what I like about this movie is it plays with the idea that these are cyclical things. Like, literally, Lewin says in that first scene, that first performance when he does uh, Hang Me, Oh, Hang Me, he says after that, if it's never new and it it never gets old, it's a folk song. And, like, this yeah. movie feels like a folk song because mm-hmm. the same things keep happening over and over and they've got Lewin stuck in place and stuck in time. I love this screenplay. <laughs> like, oh... I love I love screenplays that really emphasize the cyclical nature of time and the cyclical nature of life and oh oh I love this I just want to step back to like five hours ago when you said you would have nothing to say on this podcast yeah. I just want us to remember that moment right now yeah I was like what am I going to talk about and I don't then, know and here Weird. we are eighteen minutes in and we barely we haven't even gotten past like the first hour <laughs> I think my favorite part of this is the running joke that everyone hates folk music because <laughs> that feels kind of like my childhood i was like ew country music that's horrible right like what was it people always wanted you to play devil went down to georgia oh my god gatherings. this is this is the life of someone who knows how to play violin with an incredibly southern family so sad mm. i i kind of like my my fun thing that I would always do is I would sneak, um, mm-hmm. when I was in late high school, I would always sneak uh, Twist and Shout into La Bamba. <sighs> That's why nobody liked you in high school. <laughs> the thing is, everybody liked me in high school. So, like, as the movie progresses, you see Lewin's situation essentially get worse and worse. Like, or no, does it get worse and worse? Because it sounds like he's been living a really rough, like time well, anyway. That's the thing; it gets better and then it gets worse. Like, so like he finds out that Gene is pregnant and that it may be his, which is well, which but is a whole like, other thing. 
Gene was cheating on Jim with him, you know? But then but then he's like, okay, well, I'll get the money, and he does it to be able to uh, pay for the procedure, mm-hmm. you know, for the abortion, which is what he, a word that he doesn't want to say a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he gets the money from a session that he plays with her husband, which is <laughs> a whole thing, which is... Maybe the funniest part of the movie, the song Please Gosh, Mr. Kennedy. You, it's like, if he had just gone to the doctor first, though, he would know that he didn't owe him any money. And then, and he, then wouldn't he wouldn't have been able got, to get... He would have gotten the copyright and then made money. And then he would have gotten the royalties off of... Um, if, it, if I learned anything from the past few movies I've watched, keep your copyright. Keep your credits. Go for the royalties. Don't mm-hmm. go for the advance. Nope. Be poor first. Then be rich later. Oh, it's just... But that's... It kind of like drives home the issue with poverty. When you need money, you yeah. need money now. Yeah. You can't settle for money later. Yeah. So you're going to cut corners that are going to prevent it from coming to you later because there is structural inequality. But yeah, to be fair, the song, the dumbest song. So but dumb. But also hilarious. But so good. Oh, it's, it's good that we just talked about the Oscars because now we can talk about something else, which was the complete shutout of Inside Lewin Davis from the Oscars in 2014. Was it really? I don't think it was nominated. You remember? For a thing. I remember because I watched the nominations that morning and I was pissed because they didn't even get Best Original Song because, per Academy rules, it cribbed too much from other songs of the time with the Please Mr. What? Kennedy motif. That's a completely original song. Well, it's not because it used the, like, Please, Mr. Kennedy, which is a riff. Is there from the another thing. song? Yeah, there were some girl groups that did a, Ooh, please, Mr. Kennedy. And it's like a what? version of that. Like, which is which is what T-Bone Burnett does. I don't know. Think. I think it's We'll get original. into T-Bone Burnett in a minute. Um, I feel like after we go to the concession stand, we can we can get all our thoughts about the music out. Of, out. Um, he then realizes, hey, my agent isn't doing it for me anymore my record label that i'm with just is not working oh, there's that really great joke it's like he likes to go to funerals you know oh my gosh <laughs> it's like that's not is that family he likes to go to funerals <laughs> it, his he, his uh manage his label exec i guess it's this little bitty label is just this older guy who doesn't necessarily really have it all there i feel like I don't know. Like, or maybe it's just like, it's 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 a combo of that and him just not being. My thought is this it. guy's been in the biz for a while. Mm-hmm. He had a, n- a number of clients that were successful enough. Yeah. And so now at the end of his life, he just doesn't care about producing new talent, but he takes people on to get their money. Or, and, and like, here's the other side of this. That's all that Lewin could get at first. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my thought. Is that's, yeah. that's all that Lewin could get at first. And he needed something, you know? It's funny because it's like you realize how the internet has changed literally everything. You don't need someone to mass, like, produce your stuff, like, to get going. I mean, the fact that SoundCloud rapper is even a thing right. at this point. You can you literally know? make all your money off of putting your songs on YouTube, which doesn't require a distributor at all. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. It's like, uh But, you see, the thing is... Lewin is one of my favorite words for movies like this. He's a bad decision machine. (laughs) (laughs) Which is also relatable. Yeah. Well, like when he tells his sister to throw all the old junk from his his dad's house out. Oh my gosh. See, Lewin, 
about three quarters through the movie, he gives up and decides, you know what? I can go back to the Merchant Marine. I can be fine. Has to spend all his money to get his dues current again. Gets the receipt, but then finds out that his sister threw out his master's mates and pilot's license. Which, okay. You don't throw out the license. That's the thing you don't do. The weirdest part of that is that you can't just get another copy of your license. Well, you have to pay for it, and he couldn't afford that. He had to pay to get recertified. Ugh. He should have asked about the license before he paid them. Oh, it's, well, I mean, they said, you have your master's mates and pilot's license, right? He should have asked his sister about it, I think. But also, why was it so expensive? $200 back then was like $500. I think he was like years behind on his dues, though. Jeez. So he had to make up, it's like, that well, was money you owed wait, your union. But, oh my gosh. That, that, and that, that gets into another thing that's kind of iffy with, um, I think, with uh, the Cohen brothers. They they are a little bit economically conservative sometimes, you see. <laughs> Sometimes you see that. I mean, they're old, right? Uh, they're, they're something. <laughs> um, so Lewin, he, you know, his father's like literally, I don't even know like the proper term to use for it anymore, but he's like 100% like assisted living, like not oh, fully aware yeah. anymore. Oh, and his... He's and he, like vegetable, but not. He clearly didn't have a good, a great relationship with his yeah. father either. Um, probably having something to do with the fact that he, you know, wanted to be an artist, wanted to be a folk musician, and Lewin, he he sees himself as an artist. I think, like more than like a performer or anything. He sees, yeah. he sees him. He he wants to do the music that he wants to do. He doesn't want to like. I think he sees Jim and Gene as having sold out. Oh, yeah. Of. Like, and he absolutely hates, like, he hates gimmicks, too. Yeah. Like, he didn't like Al Cody. He was like, oh, yeah, you're just a singing soldier. Like, not even his real name. No, not Al Cody. Not Al Cody. Oh, Al Cody oh, oh the, kid. the kid. Oh, the kid I didn't like him Stark either. Sands. I did not like him. He's like, oh, I heard very nice things about you from Jim and Gene and others. Oh, my God. Uh, I, he, was, he was a fine singer. Ugh. But he 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 uh, bummed off of Al Cody basically. Basically, uh, the Adam Driver character, like he he just knew that there was a couch that he could stay on. Yeah. There. Like he uh, and then you know he doesn't like Jim and Jean. He didn't like the song that Jim wrote. Which I didn't either. Yeah, you did. You liked Please, Mr. Kennedy. Yeah, but you they're. Didn't... I hated the songs they were singing on stage. The traditional folk songs that everybody knows. That's the thing. Lewin didn't want to play those, which is what's interesting. Lewin was playing child ballads. Like, he played, like, Queen Jane, the death, of, the death of Queen Jane. That's, like, a very old English song. So he's playing stuff that people don't necessarily know. He was doing the folk style, but, Well, no, like... he, they were folk songs, is the thing. But he wasn't doing the mass market folk songs that yeah. everybody knows and can yeah. sing along to. Like, the, the most effective scene that demonstrated that, I feel like, was... When they did 100 Miles and everyone in the club just sang along kind of quietly except for Lewin. But also I think that scene was very effective in demonstrating Lewin as a um, full as full of himself because he think that Star- thinks that Stark Sands is going to call him up on stage. He's like, I don't have my guitar! <laughs> and then he calls Jim and Gene up instead. Yikes. That was embarrassing. Oh. God. You know what we haven't gotten into yet? The cat. The cat. <laughs> The cat who lends us that incredible sequence he at the was, beginning. The, the, the cat the credit sequence. moves the story. It's so cool. Yeah. This beautiful, like, wavy-coated orange tabby cat. 
it's got like you know the big like brush stroke kind of whorls rather than like the little tiger stripes oh my gosh <laughs> he uh he is in this the apartment that lewin wakes up in after the uh, performance at the beginning of the movie i have to say after the performance at the beginning of the movie because the movie is it is revealed later on that that performance takes place chronologically after the rest of the events of the film i do like that the the time scale of this mm-hmm. how it starts at the end and then brings you back to it exactly it's really cool but this cat, this cat is a walk and talk. Yes, this cat is, um, this, he, uh, he is leaving the apartment that belongs to the friend that he's crashing at, the Gorefines, who are the, uh, ac- the, uh, Upper West Side academics. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, the, the cat is kind of a lot of his motivation throughout the movie. The cat escapes, so he feel he has to catch the cat, but as he's trying to catch the cat, the apartment door locks behind him. And he can't get in. So then he asks the elevator operator if he can watch the cat. The elevator operator says no. And so Lewin has to carry this cat across New York and take care of it. Which he does elegantly. But that lends us, lends you to the opening sequence where you're hearing the uh, studio version of Fare Thee Well. Because mm-hmm. like, I, I think what, what starts is he, he plays it literally... Um, as he's leaving the apartment and then the cat escapes and it's played underneath the whole time. You've got these beautiful Chris Thiele mandolin lines underneath and just, and then he carries the cat on the subway and that is just, no, it's beautiful. It's Isn't filled. that camera work beautiful? Yeah. yeah like wh- what do you think? Like, and the, they do the reflection of the cat in the glass. So he's looking out as the station signs are mm-hmm. passing by and, like, everyone else on the subway car is staring He's at him. He's a little traveler. I know. And then he jumps from his arms oh, on God. the subway car and he has to chase him. As you would expect a cat to do. Exactly. The cat is doing nothing but being a mm-hmm. cat. And it's kind of like, the cat kind of just, like, symbolizes life. Like, you're always chasing a cat. <laughs> well, no, like, well, things just you, get well, away from you. you. Yeah, yeah, things get away from you. you. You catch up to them and then they go away again. Yeah. It's kind of how life works. And he has to take the cat to the only apartment that he knows of, which is Jim and Jean's apartment. Oh, gosh. And that's when we find out that Jean is pregnant, etc., etc. And that's... But, God, the cat really is the motivating action for, like, mm-hmm. the beginning of the film. He's the huh? catalyst. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. The cat Cat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you haven't talked about Jean at all, though. Really. Oh, Carrie Mulligan. Really good performance. Incredible. Just angry. She's also kind of an asshole. <laughs> Oh, there. That's the understandably thing. so. Everyone except for maybe Jim is an asshole, yeah. but Jim is too bland to even right. be noticed. You yeah. know? like I, I think all the artists are either assholes or nothing. The only good people are the Gorefines. Yeah, <laughs> and Lewin is a good person deep down. Well, he wants to be, but he just doesn't. He's just tired. He won't let himself embrace it. Really, he's so tired. He thought he needed to sleep, but it's it's something more. It's something else. Oh, that monologue, that line gets me every time. Yeah, it's depression. <laughs> yeah, it's grief-induced yeah. depression mm-hmm. and poverty-induced depression. Yeah. And like, oh, like, Lewin wants so badly to be more than what he is. Mm-hmm. And like, like the cat, it gets away from him. He, he, he sees opportunities and he loses them and, oh. And he has a two-year-old son in Akron, maybe. Like, oh, gosh. oh God. Uh, it's it's hard to just talk about this movie you know like 
and give you a sense of what it's about. Um, I feel like the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. They do some great stuff with the lighting, like to make it really feel like winter. You know, mm-hmm. like it, like the club is incredible, and like what I what I love is like those performances that you see when he's playing guitar with the exception of maybe please mr kennedy like the performances are uh by oscar isaac are all live like he wasn't lip syncing he was playing guitar and singing those i feel like the uh yeah how does he know how to do that john well (laughs) oscar isaac was uh uh, the lead of a florida-based ska band (laughs) florida yeah yeah, where else was Scott? There's no other place for Scott. You can't sing that in Ohio. I have to say that now. Also, if you haven't, you should watch the clip of uh, Oscar Isaac singing Cucuru Cucu Paloma, which is just incredible. I don't even think I've seen that. I'll find it for you. I'll show it to you. He's Oscar Isaac is a musician, like, just straight up, and it's very good. But the thing... Hmm... How, it's it's hard to boil this movie down into like one core takeaway. Like why are you trying to? Well, you can't do that with the Coens, I think. Like they're about everything and also nothing, you know? Like it's and this is maybe I mean, no, it still is. This is this is one of my like top 4 all-time movies. For for sure. Maybe it's because this is one of the ones that like really got me deeper into film Mm -hmm. like got me like thinking about what it can do and the kind of stories that it can tell and you can watch it and feel differently about it each time exactly like sometimes i watch it i was like oh that's so rough and so sad and then sometimes but like every time i'm moved by this movie Mm -hmm. this movie makes me feel something like like, all the characters are dimensional exactly (laughs) even (laughs) even garrett headland's character (laughs) Like, everybody has their own story. They're all, like, very fully realized. Even characters that are only there to deliver, like, two lines. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, Jim played us that record. It's gonna be a hit. But, like, you know that they have, like, lives off of the screen. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have lives outside of it. And they're real people. I feel like a lot of Coen Brothers movies deal, like, pretty heavily in, like, allegory and archetypes. Like, I feel like... That can certainly be said for Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It can be said for Raising Arizona because they play around with, like, mythic figures. Right. Their films almost feel like a play instead of a film. Speaking of which, I would tell you guys, like, what the cat's name is, but I feel like you guys need to experience (laughs) that reveal for yourself. And you also need to experience... Well, we forgot, too, remember? Yeah, we did. We're like, do they ever name the cat? And then near the end, the They say the cat's name, and it's just... The right name. Yeah. It's great. You know? It's it's one of those things. I'm, I'm begging you. If you... You know, you've probably already watched this movie if you've listened to this podcast. But if you haven't, please do. Get get a free Amazon Prime trial if you don't have one. And rip off Jeff Bezos so that you can uh, watch this movie in your 30-day trial. <laughs> you know? It is on there right now. Maybe by the time you're listening to this episode, if you're listening to it years from now, it's not anymore. <laughs> Hook me up. I'll send you a copy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like, this is one of the movies that I think everyone should watch. Yeah. Like, it's... It's fantastic. Like, that's... 
Oh, there's you know, there's so much we did, we haven't gotten into. Like there there are funny moments. There are like genuinely great laugh out loud jokes in mm-hmm. here. You know, John, that I'm, like mine from the morbidity of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling kind of hungry. Should we uh go to the concession stand? Oh boy, cutting me off in my monologue to go to the concession stand. You're about to monologue? Oh, I kind of was monologuing. Where are we gonna put it then? I don't know, but I think I was just gonna end up saying the same stuff like ten times over. Mm-hmm. Basically. Get some popcorn at the concession stand, and then take a break from this and watch this movie. Hi, this is Jesse. And this is Griffin. And we're Avocado Toast. We're a news and social commentary podcast by young people for young people. Have you ever wanted to know more about climate change? The social conflict in Venezuela? Or maybe why Trump sucks so bad? Then we might be the podcast for you. New episodes every week. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play. Just go and search Avocado Toast. Check us out. Eat the rich. So normally we try and do a, like what worked and what didn't work and stuff. Though I feel like we've been eschewing that format a little bit lately to just, you know, have a freeform conversation. But I feel like the natural dividing point with this episode plays in with uh, how we got into this movie in the first place and discovered it, right? <laughs> Which is, I feel like we need to talk about the album. Let's talk about the album. So, the uh, Coen brothers renewed their relationship with T-Bone Burnett, one of the... uh... Renewed? Yeah. They stopped being friends with him? No, They're like, T-Bone, we gotta put you away? Their professional relationship. (laughs) (laughs) T-Bone Burnett famously produced... Well, how did they... Oh, A Brother Where Art Thou. Oh, okay. He produced produced the soundtrack for A Brother Where Art Thou, those great recordings, you know? He got back with them again. He's one of the great music archivists and like producers of this kind of music he he would after this go on to produce uh phosphorescent blues for the punch brothers really which is i didn't know that arguably their best album like it's not my favorite punch brothers album but like i understand and t-boat is a jazz artist (laughs) that too is he isn't he t-boat wait am i getting confused yeah t-bone burnett is kind of all over the place he is an American music luminary, is how I would put it. <laughs> an American producer. Yeah, he rose to fame as a guitarist in Bob Dylan's band during the 1970s. Received multiple Grammy Awards for his work in film music, including Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I thought he produced like a jazz album or something. Cold Mountain, Walk the Line. Maybe I get confused. Uh, oh, he was the one who put Alison Krauss with Robert Plant, babe. Oh my god. Remember that album? Oh, So, he produced the music on this. Also heavily involved were our favorite band, Punch Brothers. Our favorite They are our favorite band. Like, I feel like the band that unites us the most out of all of the bands that we listen to is Punch Brothers. They arguably helped bring us together at the beginning of our relationship. I guess. And, um... He's 6'4". Yeah, T-Bone's a big guy. Wow. But also Marcus Mumford was involved in this, too. I think this was, like, right around the time of the Uh. second Mumford and Sons album. Oh. It just hurts. It hurts. You you miss bands. There's the older I get, the more there are bands where they make one or two great albums and then proceed to kill themselves for me <laughs> by making other bad albums. When Mumford went arena, read rock, also Coldplay. 
when Mumford went Arena Rock, Bethany... Oh, I'm so mad. And it's not like I didn't give it a chance. I even listened to their latest album, and I liked one or two there songs. Were, there were a couple of fine songs. The singles were fine. They've basically become a like a Christian rock band. Like That just, is the sound that they have. It's not great. I really... Which people still love, and they still sell albums somehow. But you see, I absolutely loved Sino more. Yes. That album That's one was of my like, top albums ever. That album was, like, the defining, like, part of my senior year of high school, to be completely honest. Like, it just... Their next oh. one wasn't bad either. No, the second one, yeah. They they also had that, uh... And, and they had the that one version where of the they Boxer had Wolf, Jerry. Wolf at Night, whatever that one is. Well, that was the third one. That, the third where they, one. Where they went arena rock. Yeah, when they went rock, it, it was, like, kind of okay, but they just continued, like, it just didn't go well. I miss the banjos. We all... I Honestly, it might be Carrie's fault, though. I don't think it's Carrie Mulligan's yeah, fault. Yeah, because then they got married. Oh. He didn't have any more Angry Boy songs. <laughs> I loved his Angry Boy songs. Me White too. White Blank Page? Man. Oh. So, but uh, Marcus Mumford was still doing folk at the time of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of this. So there's a really great well, concert special that aired. No, I think that third album was coming out. No, no, this was 2013, baby. So this was around the same time. Are as, you sure? This was like so right after the second like, album. was like 2010. Yeah, but this was like right after the second the album. The second album was already starting to use like regular guitars no, and stuff. No, n- not it? as much. The second album was still like solidly folk. Mm. Like it's maybe people will look back on this as like when Dylan's fans turned on him when he went electric. But like, this is different. This is different. Um, the point that I'm trying to make: there's a really great album that came with this movie, like. Every song performed in this movie and played... Well, not played in this movie. No, yeah. Every song performed in this movie is on the album. Uh, from uh, the uh, version of Fairly Well that we hear at the beginning. Uh, hang, uh, on the record, which is a Punch Brothers... Mar- credited to Punch Brothers, Marcus Mumford, and um, Oscar Isaac, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to it and have listened to any Punch Brothers album ever, then you'll be like, oh yes, this is clearly <laughs> a Punch Brothers song. Yeah, Punch Brothers are kind of the definitive progressive bluegrass band so it kind of makes sense that you get this band which consists of just five virtuosi and then of course you've also got justin timberlake who's one of the most popular recording artists of the past couple of decades i don't know if today's children know him i know but at the time i think this was like right after 2020 experience had come out Oh, wow. So, like, suit and tie, all that. So he hasn't made music since 2014? Well, he has. There was that that album that no one listened to. Oh, no. Remember, he played the Super Bowl, and, like, we didn't know, like, three of the songs. Nothing's ever going to top Sexy Back. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Oh, gosh. Sexy Back is a defining album of a generation. So, yeah, there's actually a really great concert special that was released with this that we just happened to see on showtime <laughs> or stars i don't remember I don't know, which one, of those. one but we saw it like and i remember before the movie we had listened to the entire album several times i was playing it on the uh, bluegrass radio show that i was working at at the time like once a week at least like one track every week and it's just mm, i loved it i think it's a fantastic album and i think that even if you're not watching the movie, like this is just a great album to listen to to get an idea of the vibe of the movie. So, worth a listen. Oscar Isaac is a great singer and a great musician. Like the 
the, what he does on the album and in the studio is great. And we also have the wonderful gift that is the acapella performance of the old triangle. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that's the only thing that isn't really live in the film. But you hear Chris Thiele's voice coming out of this Irishman in a cable knit sweater. And they all have remarkably different cable knit sweaters. Yes. Lewin even comments, I believe, I like the sweaters. No, the guy next to Lewin does. It wasn't Lewin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he probably doesn't like the sweaters. All right. Well, are we ready to rate? Yeah. Um, no surprise. This one gets five out of five for, from me. Like, just straight up, one of my favorite movies of all time. And it gets five out of five and will always get five out of five. I think like 4.2 out of five. Not even a 4.5? No. This watch something, I don't know. I didn't feel as sorry for Lewin, which is bad. But I don't know. But you don't have to feel sorry for Lewin. But previously I'd been like, you know, just like heartbreak. You're like, wow, this guy really has it bad. And you're like, "Mm, he's a little less socially aware than he should be probably a little bit. I think that's kind of the point of him, though. Yeah, yeah. He is becomes more of an asshole, too. In, to, in an extent, he he deserves a lot of what is ha- yeah. what happens to him. Like, the punch when he gets punched out by that guy at the beginning and end of the movie, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he deserved that. The way that Gene treats him, absolutely, he deserves that. But, like, hmm. What he doesn't deserve is just the sheer weight of everything on his shoulders. Yeah. You know? Like, that's he's working under the weight of the death of his partner. He's working under the expectations that are placed on him by, like, his family and the rest of the world. And, like, he's got to move past that while he's still, like, depressed and grief-stricken. I guess, I know that this is the point of the movie, that it's, like, an everyday film, and, like, it's just, like, a, a pause and, like, a snapshot of life, I guess you'd yeah, say. Yeah, slice of life. But... It, it's kind of discouraging to know that he's not going to get anywhere, that there's no, like, lead toward what he could be doing next. Because, I mean, that's, and that's why that's I the, think the ending a, is yeah. so good, because it ends with Bob Dylan playing Fare Thee Well to My Darling True. You know, like, oh, it's a great song. I really like his performance of it. Sure. Dylan wrote one of my favorite songs of all time, like, up there with Los Angeles, all along what? the Watchtower. Oh. One of my favorite songs of all time. Jimi Hendrix made it better. Yes, but Dylan wrote it. He, oh, like Subterranean Homesick Blues. Like, oh my god. Dylan is that is... a Fleet Foxes song? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, well, what, what else can you listen to on this great network of ours? Well, you could listen to uh, Green Mountain Mysteries, our new actual play podcast, playing the Dresden Files RPG. It's pretty fun. Oh, I was going to say the X-Files. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Whatever a Dresden file is. You can listen to Steampunks, the uh Yeah, get your education yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, get the uh, get the history of women in science, technology, engineering, art and math I'm, on. I'm personally a fan. I really like yeah, listening to it. It's a it. great show. You can listen to No Dice, which is back. Coming yeah, soon. Play podcast. Might, coming soon you might even hear me on an episode Whoa. of No Dice in a few different capacities. More will be revealed in time. But <laughs> Until then, you know... I'm John. I'm Bethany. (laughs) What else were you going to say? We've been home viewing. Oh, yes, that one. Don't buy... Any more Blu-rays. Or DVDs. It's never how you knew it. Nobody looks at it that way but you. We 
Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.